HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is supported by The Finch, a seasonal American restaurant in Clinton Hill, and by Sea Management, a global leader in creative talent management. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Souther Teague, author, published author, Souther Teague. <laughs> Congratulations on your book coming out yesterday. Thank you. Um, that was a really... Uh, Thank you, Dave. That was audience. a really wild release party for your book that you had last night. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was... Uh, I don't see. remember any of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was memorable and unmemorable at the same time. Yeah. You I didn't even have one. Didn't have one, no. What the... <laughs> it's weird. I guess this is... I guess this is how it works. We did the pre-release for the press two weeks ago yesterday at Porchlight. And then we did a second pre-release in L.A. where I was last week for BevCon. Mm -hmm. And then there isn't really a thing you do on release day. So You're you're wrong. In a couple of... (laughs) You know how many I've had like at my bar? I I, I guess... I don't know. Jeff Ashworth, my, uh, my, my editor, publisher, and friend... Uh, yeah, Jeff, what, what what the hell? You didn't plan anything for yesterday? <laughs> I just had a quiet dinner. Me and Kimmy Winkler went to dinner at uh, Mercer Kitchen. Uh, yeah. Then we went to Sweetwater Social and had a glass of champagne. Sorry, Todd, I drank a glass of champagne. I wasn't supposed to be drinking <laughs> this month. I'm going to drink today, though. A lot, a lot of great stuff. Yeah, the month's over. It's pretty much over. Anyway, the book is out. Uh, I appreciate all the well wishes and texts and emails and Instagram posts that I've gotten from everybody. It's pretty incredible. Go check out my uh, Instagram at Creative Drunk, uh, and you can see my stories. I've been reposting everybody's pictures of the books and things like that. Uh, it's overwhelming. I'm really overwhelmed. Like, my publisher t- texted me today to say that I'm, I'm number 3,811. 3,180 There it was. That's what I read. Okay. So I'm inside. I'm, I'm close to inside of three thousand of all books on Amazon. That's crazy. I, I don't know how many books they have. Maybe four thousand. Um, <laughs> they got more than that. They it's, started. 
but it's pretty incredible. It's overwhelming, and I, I'm I feel really uh, I'm proud of the product, and I hope I hope I hope the listener goes out and buys a copy, and uh, and then if you ever see me and you have your book with with you, I'll absolutely put my signature in there, or, or I'll sign I'll sign Damon's name. <laughs> uh, that's the only way I can get in that book. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be in the next one. All right. Fine. Next one's going to be about Don't cocktails and cowboy hats and motorcycles. Called, you're in the wrong place? Yes. <laughs> you're in the wrong room. Um, so, yeah. Hey. Yeah, nice. Um, so, uh, yeah, so you're at BevCon. What happened there? You did a bunch of stuff there. You were only there for like I did. I was there for a real... days? Yeah. I, I, I think I, I didn't calculate it, but it was like 50 hours. You know me. I fly right after I leave work, and I fly in to go right back to work. Um, I got out there. I did uh, um, a talk about pop-up bars. Uh, and then, and then I did a pop up. I took over uh, Harvard and Stone with our good friend Aaron Polsky. Um, he used to work at Amori Margo, and now he's the head bartender at Harvard and Stone. Uh, so we did a, a, an event there. It was really successful. Like, wow, I was really super busy. Tiny bar in the back. They have like a what they call R and D, a secondary bar in the back of this giant bar, uh, small room, not very much larger than Amori Margo. So I felt right at home in that regard. But it was just jam packed to the rafters with people. Cool. And then I did. Uh, I actually was on a. I was the guest on a couple of podcasts while I was out there, including uh, Jack Ensley. Uh, he he. I, I wasn't even paying attention to the fact that the Line Hotel is the same Line Hotel that's in DC. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Ensley. <laughs> <laughs> There's Jack. Um, hey. Hey, what's up, Jack? Hey. Hey. <clears throat> uh, so Jack uh, Jack pulled me in and did a quick uh, interview with me. So you know, I'll post all that stuff on our our media as well. And then uh, uh, I did a book signing, which was crazy. We sold out. Um, uh, didn't have many. Sell out. Yeah, uh, I definitely, <laughs> I've definitely sold out. Um, we didn't have that many, but still, to, it felt really good to be like, all right, people came to get them all. I don't know. And then I flew back and I went to work at Amori Margo like normal. I'm right. trying to live a normal life and also live this very unusual life right now. You're a very unusual person. Thanks. Makes a lot of sense. It's true. Uh, you were away as well. We didn't do a show last week, but you were away. You were at uh, Camp Runamuck, second session this year. Yeah, yeah. So uh, second go? time there, second time sponsoring a cabin. Uh, Brooklyn Jen uh, has a cabin there. And uh, the thing about this session, it was like, it was, you know, lots of lovely people, great to meet all these campers. And, and But the, the thing is, as a sponsor, you don't get to hang out and go on the tours right. with the campers during the day. Um, Blessing and a curse, I'm sure. Well, you know... It, they have to get up early, as I recall. They do. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and they stay up real late. Yep. But it was cool this session, because we got to hang out with a lot of really great people who were, like, other sponsors, mm-hmm. you know, and um, had a lot of fun. Went to the go-kart track twice. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we got to, like, kind of make our own tours, which was actually ended up being a much more personal, like, one-on-one vibe. Went to Mictors. Dan McKee, who's been on the show before, yep, great um, guy. about a year ago, mm-hmm. uh, showed us around, and uh, went to their new visitor center, which is going to be open in November. They're saying, right? They were talking about it on the show a year ago that they're building it, yeah. so it's almost done. Yeah, that's awesome. Getting close. It's beautiful. Um, and then went to Wild Turkey, and Bruce Russell uh, got to show us around. We just who popped in on us the other day? Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and um, so that was really fun, man. We we got to hang out in the Rick House A, and like I did an interview with them. Oh, cool! And Benny Hurwitz, who's their like brand ambassador, uh, Joanne, who's also in the family, uh, 
It was great, man. Did a little interview, tasted a bunch of whiskey out of the barrel. Had like a really nice personal, like real, real deep experience with that. So that that episode will be out soon. And then uh, we also went to uh, Rabbit Hole Distilling, which is mm-hmm. it's been open for about a year now. Right. And they, it's a uh, Christopher Wilkins who used to be the brand ambassador for Copper and Kings, and uh, he helped start up this new whiskey distillery. Beautiful spot. It's like. Super like modern. It almost looks like it looks like the MoMA. You know, it, <laughs> it looks like a museum in there. They've got a nice tasting room upstairs as well. So it's really interesting seeing three very very different sure. distilleries. Mictors being more of like factory style. They don't do tours at Mictors. Right. That's why they're building the visitor center to Wild Turkey to see how like the influence of Capari has changed their visitor center. But then you're still like seeing the like the big fermenter tanks, uh, the really old the rick houses. Yeah. Mean, there's 28 rick houses. Yeah, it's insane. And getting to hang out in those dusty, like, cobweb, mm-hmm. like, there's snakes and spiders oh, I love in that there, stuff. you know? <laughs> I love that stuff. And then go into this very modern, like, beautiful, like, architecturally just, like, stunning uh, modern distillery. And to see those three different styles is really cool. Makes me curious to know what the what the modern one will look like when it's as old as while Turkey is now. Right? It'll still look sleek. It's still going to look like a spaceship. Yeah, it probably will. Anyway. That sounds so like that's, it was a great that's, time. That's the recap for... From my end, from last week, um, but yeah, it's you know, the uh, the community down there is really strong. You know, the every time I go down to Kentucky, it's like you you taste all these different whiskeys and like they're, I mean, sure they're in competition with each other, but everyone everyone knows each other, and it's like I think they're all perfectly aware of the notion that that the the, the popularity of bourbon and rye whiskeys that are made yeah. in America is good for all of them. They Bruce was saying and. Jimmy, Russell, uh, they were saying that um, they used to get about 15 tourists a week, <laughs> and now they have groups of 25 every 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and within his lifetime, I'm sure. Yeah. Right? That's, that's incredible. Yeah, and it just shows, like, you know, like they're, in Bardstown, there's this company, it's Bard, Bardstown bourbon distillers or something like that they they only do contract distilling they're actually building like a resort style like hotel kind of thing there because of like the amount of uh like whiskey tourism there is is the pool going to be filled with new make yeah <laughs> i hope not <laughs> anyway. uh well let's get into our show today yeah i think we've got some whiskey to drink here too we do well we've also just got some, other things we got some, yeah exactly and we've also got a lot of like things to talk about um, today in the studio, we've got a co-owner of Night Owl Hospitality, uh, which is a, a Jersey-based cocktail catering company, uh, Diana Pettit. Is that saying your last name right? It's Pettit. It rhymes with charcoal briquette. Yep. I'm like, <laughs> see, I have that too. I do. It's, uh, it's Southern, like other with an S. Yeah. But then Alfred chimes in and he goes, others? <laughs> Uh, and also, uh, Scott Rosenbaum, you guys are also, uh, adjunct professors now at NYU, so local college here in New York City, uh, <laughs> teaching a multi-session graduate seminar about the history, culture, and policies of drinking from the Neolithic period to the present day, 9,000 years of intentional drinking and making alcohol, right? And then, uh, it's, I think it's important to note that they, that's the, that's the key word, right? Intentional, not just accidentally making alcohol and drinking. So, uh, Diana, 
pet. Patet like briquette. <laughs> Patet like briquette. Also, and welcome Scott back Rosemont. to the show. Uh, yeah, Diana you've been on was before. on the show. Yeah, exactly. I know, I've back. never been on the show. Haven't you? No, I think that I'm just sort of hang out enough around here. It seems like I've been on. I've been on the cutting the curd because my background's really cheese. Oh, yeah, so. that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. so I've been on for cheese. Because I know we had, we had talked about you being on the show, but then I know that, like, yeah, because you were on with Ann Saxelby, and yeah, I don't know. I'm just getting old. I, 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 I forget things. But anyway. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. I thought, Thank I, you. I thought it was your second time. My no, bad. it's my first. I'm very excited because uh, I love listening to your show. So we sure have guest. talked a lot about booze. Yes, yes. <laughs> cool. All right. And uh, yeah, all right. Let's get to, like, all right. What what started this? How did you get into the idea of putting this class together? I mean, obviously, like there's a lot of research involved, like historical accounts, uh, things that you kind of have to debunk and, and kind of figure out what they, what is closest to the truth. You know. Right. Um, well, the class came about, uh, both Scott and I have master's degrees from NYU's food studies program. And f- food studies is not a nutrition course or a, a food science course. It's looking at the um, symbolic meaning of food. So what food means to us, what it conveys about what we value. It also conveys human history and all that. It's, um, it's food meets liberal arts. So if you if you don't want to get a job at a restaurant, but you want to talk about and learn about food. Yeah. That's that's food studies. Gotcha. Gotcha. Or the that's symbolic meaning of food. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, we, we touch upon alcohol in our studies, in our master's studies, but don't really focus on it. And I don't know, after several years after graduating, it sort of hit me like there should be a course just on the history of alcohol. Because um, what distinguishes alcohol from food is that we don't really need it, right? The only beverage we need is water. Speak for yourself, lady. Okay, yes. Well, we don't, well, there's a heavy desire <laughs> yeah. for it, but... No, I, I totally agree. I, in fact, I, I've, I've said this before in front of large audiences to boos and hisses. Like, I feel like, you know, we have to be aware that what we do is, is 100% frivolous. It's unnecessary. And in fact, you could probably live a longer and healthier life if you didn't have it. Now, you have to more factor in like your mental health maybe then that's where you need that alcohol to make your life better right (laughs) right and then you touch upon really sort of what's at the core of our class in some ways is that you know we don't need alcohol and yet we've had this nine thousand year love affair with it's a bit of a bit of a rocky love affair you know ups and downs and sometimes we want to break up as we tried during various prohibitions but we always end up getting back together again so we look at a lot of the different sort of forces um historical forces cultural forces personal forces that sort of keep um, humans engaged in alcohol. And it, it, it happens at all levels, too. You know, we, we often think of our relationship with alcohol on personal terms, but, you know, we, we see governments try to break up and make up with alcohol with regard to prohibition or taxation, and, and we explore it on kind of different, different levels mm-hmm. of... Uh, sure. Well, I mean, even, even since prohibition, you know, in America, we've, the, the federal government gave the states the right to figure out what they wanted to do as far as the laws go, and making such a fractured system that we have in general, right? Is that, is that fair to look at? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, we, yes. Can, we can thank the 21st Amendment for, uh, for that. Uh, you know, but we, we see it play out not just in the U.S. We, we look at, you know, a lot of people think that uh, for, for various sometimes wrongheaded reasons that our Puritan, you know, background means that we've been kind of prohibitionist from the start. But we see Russia have have issues with regard to prohibition and trying to ban it. They had prohibition in Russia from um, Tsarist times up to uh, Stalin, actually, multi-year prohibition. And, you know, 
alcohol is often that relationship. I can't quit you. And actually, the government couldn't quit alcohol because up to a third of the state's revenue came from alcohol sales. So once right. you, you know, and, and, you know, as you mentioned, that maybe we'd all do a little bit better without alcohol, but. Um, or is, but when the government tries to limit it, when we know humans are going to go find it anyway, and then you dry up the coffers, um, and that leads to other problems. Yeah, government comes to a grinding halt. Uh, services, infrastructure, everything suffers because so much money comes. I mean, the first this. taxes were on alcohol in the United States. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something to think about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> next time you're pouring a barrel of beer down the gutter. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, those pictures from Pro- Prohibition where they're whacking up barrels and just mind-boggling to me. Like, they're just dumping money down the tubes. And, and like, uh, obviously, trying to be, uh, you know, uh, trying to make a better situation for everyone, you know, trying to do a social good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, you know, best intentions. But, man, terrible, terrible catastrophic uh, results. Like, how many people died during Prohibition because they got poisoned by our own government, right? Mm-hmm. The, the yeah, what you bring up in your book? Yeah, they, yeah, I do. Have you read it already? I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've made a good uh, dive into it. Academics, man, they crush through books. <laughs> it's like I got it, got to start reading it. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, that's uh, yeah, I do mention it in there, and uh, it's staggering to even understand that the government would be, would take such a, a stance that they. Uh, so basically, what happens? They poisoned alcohol, uh, and and kind of didn't really tell anyone, but but sort of let the let the, the information leak out. Like if you drink alcohol, you you may in fact die, and it didn't stop anybody from drinking it. So lots of people did die, right? It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and I I've always thought that you know I don't think I've ever, I've said it out loud maybe, uh, and I definitely haven't written it down anywhere. But like I've always kind of thought, and maybe you can weigh in, if we as a society or as a people had never discovered alcohol yet and we discovered it today i think it would be illegal i don't think we would ever mix it into the thing at all it would it would definitely be like a class three like substance right <laughs> I, yeah i definitely think so i mean oftentimes sort of like, you know drug debates people remind us that alcohol is a very deadly drug and yeah. it's a problem that you know wrecks lives and societies and whatnot and yet there it is. You know, it's uh, it's been with us for at least nine thousand years, and I don't think we're going to quit it anytime soon. But the lines are, are always shifting too. You know, we we explore how different periods in in different periods of time, different cultures accept or reject alcohol. So, you know, we understand today that part of Islam is a prohibition on alcohol, but in the early years, that was not codified, and there are pictures of of Muslim people getting getting wrecked. Um, drawings, of course, not, not photographs, but, um, you know, why and, and, and how did that change is, is something that's always uh, subject to, to great debate and, and uh, academics arguing. But it's, it's, it's fascinating because nothing is, everything's always uh, in flux. It's always changing right. with regard to attitudes. And yeah, it sort of can, I mean, always attention with alcohol, as, as we mentioned, you don't really need it. And there's really good aspects of alcohol, right? It's a source of hydration. It's a source of great nutrients. Also, it's a great social binder as well. And that's usually in moderation. And then you go to the flip side and have too much of it, and then it becomes the opposite, right? It's going to ruin your health. It's going to ruin social structures. So always there's some sort of institution, whether it's religious, uh, political, cultural, that's trying to figure out how to get people towards the moderate good use of alcohol and not go towards the other end of alcohol. I think it's kind of sh- 
worth noting and a little bit shocking to me that people are very acutely aware of dosage of drugs. They're acutely aware of how many milligrams of ibuprofen are in their pills. They're acutely aware of how much uh, CBD is in the new CBD oil vape thing so they can, or the edibles so they can yeah. know what they're dosing themselves. And right on the bottles of spirits, it tells you what the dose is, percentage of alcohol by volume. But people tend to not think about that at all. Well, that would re- require reading a label, you know. Um, well, but as I was saying, they read all these other labels, and they're very, like, they, they know what they're doing and what they're taking, but... What do, you, I, what do you mean by that? I mean, like, do you... I, well, I think that the example that's you know, coming to my when, mind when is... When I have a headache and I take two Advil, right? Yeah. It's like, it's not going to hurt if I take four, you know? <laughs> Sometimes I might need four Advil, you know, in, in a single dosage. Yeah. So, I mean, like... But I think... But, but are you saying socially I think or what like, I'm responsibly? Saying, I like, think what I'm saying is kind of the, the sort of weirdly backwards of what you're saying. I notice as a bartender, maybe you do too when, I'm, when I say it like this, I notice as a bartender that I don't think people, okay, at my bar where all the drinks cost the same price, I don't think people realize that there are different ABVs uh, when they come in and they say, oh my gosh, this is that bar where the only non-alcoholic green is water. All the drinks are super strong. Well, actually they're not. Like a lot of my drinks are pretty low ABV. Right, it's all vermouth and the eight Amaro Sazerac is made of eight different Amari. Like it probably taps out at thirty-five percent, so seventy proof cocktail. It looks like an old fashioned, right? But an old fashioned is typically at least forty percent, so eighty proof. I've got the you know I've always got an Americano style cocktail on draft. People drink a couple of those and they think that's the same strength as drinking two again old fashions. Let's say. Like, I don't think the average consumer is putting that math together. I, I kind of disagree with you, Do especially, you? like, over the last, like, year or two, you know, with the trend of, like, low ABV cocktails. Right. I, I think people are, like, seeking that out. And, I mean, that also came, I think, what ushered that in is, like, session beers, you know. And I think people are more conscious about that. I mean, like, the bamboo cocktail is great. It's a 50-50 of sherry and dry vermouth with orange bitters, you know, and, like... It, it drinks like, I'm not saying exactly like a Manhattan, but it, it feels like exactly, a, a of course. It feels like a cocktail. Walks like a, like a duck, cocktail. sounds like a duck. Yeah, but the thing is, you can have not a duck. It's not a duck. <laughs> um, it it's not all it quacked up to be, you know. Oh, <laughs> it, but where's but, that trombone, Dave? The, but actually, I'm, I'm gonna go with you, Southern. I think that a lot of people don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people don't know. And, you know, um, I think where you do see is with beers, right? It's very clear now um, when you go to a good well, beer bar. I'm not, they I'm say not it. saying the entire population. Yeah. Sure. But it is a thing that's coming uh, well, more I, to I, the I, 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 I want to hear what she has to say, but I, I do notice that at beer bars, it's in, especially over, over other bars, especially the nerdy beer bars, mm-hmm. they literally list, like, here's what this beer is, here's where it's from, here's what it tastes like, here's IBUs. its ABV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's its ABV, right? But, yeah, but, you know, you look at... Um, a cocktail list, you know, I'm, I'm coming from the Jersey Shore where, you know, the vodka club rules heavily. And, you know, look at a cocktail menu. Most people don't know what the ingredients are and they can't do the math in their head about how much that cocktail is going to be in terms of ABV. Um, so I think there's a lot to learn, but it is interesting. I think alcohol is sort of like this blind category drug, maybe, in yeah. the sense that it's just alcohol. And then some people don't even really know the difference between, you know, a distillate and a ferment and how that, oh, sure. how a fermented product. And uh, yeah, there's a big gap of in, in education about booze. And that's what's sort of interesting about the class and um, is that we all drink, or most of us all drink, but we don't really know 
what it is we're drinking, where it came from, why is it that we're drinking whiskey here and cognac in France and tequila down in Mexico, that there's all these reasons for it. And, um, you know, why did absinthe get banned and different things like that. You know, in, in, in the world of kind of food and drink, it's, it's fascinating. And, and one of the reasons we, we aim to kind of create this curriculum is that drink lags behind food by about 20 years in sure. terms of academic interest. You know, here was this program that studied food, but there was never really a course on on the cultural aspects of alcohol, even though it had been around for, for 20 years. Um, and we see that, you know, with, with dining and cocktails as well, you know, farm to table only in the last 10, 15 years have we started to see drinks kind of approach that? Sure. Well, not to mention just just the especially here in the United States, or well, specifically here in the United States, your your contact and interaction with alcohol is twenty years later than your contact or interaction with food, right? Yeah. You're not supposed to drink until you're twenty one. Yeah, right. And there's still taboos around it. I mean, food studies by itself just um, was sort of I wouldn't say ridicule, but it took a long time to get into the academy because you know food is something you do to sustain yourself. It's a base art. It's not a high art to study. But now people I think understand that food is really worthy of study because everybody eats. It's a great lens to look at all human history and values and whatnot. Um, and now alcohol studies are getting in there, but there's added to that this taboo about alcohol. You know, are you an alcoholic if you're studying about alcohol? You know, there's a, an, another sort of level yeah. of getting over to show it's why it's interesting to study. Right. We brought up uh, on the show not too many weeks ago uh, how many words there are for someone who's interested in food, but how few there are for someone who's interested in alcohol. It's basically you're an alcoholic. Like you can be an epicure or a gourmand, mm-hmm. but if you just like to drink, you're an alcoholic. Or if, if, as a woman, I could be a lush, too. Yeah. There's no, like, positive words. They're all sort of negative. For, for um, a long time, my grandmother thought my, my profession was alcoholic because I wasn't a bartender, <laughs> but I worked in booze. Yeah. And that was the only language that she professional had. professional alcoholic. I think that's what we all are. <laughs> oh, we got a laugh track now? Yeah. Um, I conject that uh, absinthe was considered such a taboo due to lobbyists, but that's a whole other show. Uh, we're at the halfway mark now. Let's take a break, and we'll come back and get academic and nerdy. And also, there's some real special uh, bottles sitting here on, on the table, so we should uh, sip on some stuff when we come back with uh, Diana and uh, Scott from NYU. This episode is supported by The Finch, a seasonal American restaurant in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn, where chef owner Gabe McMacken and his team are focused on creating a living restaurant where the choices they make consider the long-term health of the business and of the community. Learn more at thefinchnyc.com. This episode is also supported by Sea Management, a global leader in creative talent management representing artists in the fields of photography, creative direction, Styling, hair, makeup, manicure, and set design. C Management. Management with a vision. Learn more at seemanagement.com. And we are back. It's still liquid. 
Oh, sorry, we're back. <laughs> what? I just uh, poured I, some. Uh, I just poured some of this. What are we pouring? You tell me. This is uh, uh, an Amaro uh, uh, yeah. from another place and another time. This is um, Algae Marine by uh, Halger. Um, this is an Amaro from um, Italy that dates back to the 70s. It's, it's no longer produced um, in, the, in the kind of weird subculture of people seeking out what they call dusties. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of now, now from, from now extinct distilleries, this, this fits among a, a, you know, a subset of really geeky people seeking out Amaro, which tends to age wonderfully. Um, kind of mellow and marry the herbal flavor. So this has uh, uh, supposedly 73 different botanicals in it. and um, Among them is algae. Yeah, one of them is uh, algae. Is there any particular reason why? Well, I'm about to taste it. I'm curious if it's like salty. Is it going to be salty? Mm. Nope. <laughs> it's got a lot of savory notes. It's yeah. definitely caramely. It's Pretty warm. What's the ABV? Speaking of knowing your ABVs, see, I didn't. I, I did not read the label. We now I know the... my ABVs. Hmm. <laughs> it's on the back. May not be on there. If it's old enough. <laughs> yeah, it kind of rubbed off a little bit. I, I think it's around. I think it's around thirty percent ABV. Yeah. If I had to guess. Pretty warm for tomorrow. Ooh, it's making my mouth water a lot though. Yeah. It's getting me right, right there. Uh, I was. Oh, yeah, you're right. There's. Thanks a, for bringing this. By yeah, the way, really awesome. special. You're right. There's a lot of. Uh, cap doesn't really. A lot of people anything. collecting dusty bottles. There's certain. There's certain people who are essentially just brokers. They f- go and find a lot of like vintage cases and end up reselling them. Chamber Street Wines in New York City. They do a lot of vintage uh spirits amari and like vermouth i, I bought some punta mez from them at one point. they're wonderful there are a number of restaurants um fausto um yeah. has a great uh, vintage amaro uh selection or amari selection um isodi um uh del posto are places where if you don't want to drop you know 70 80 dollars on a, a full bottle you just want to kind of taste around yeah. um also four horsemen has a great oh yeah yeah that's a great, great selection mm-hmm uh, there's one Quince in uh, in SF is huge. Michael does a huge collection of uh, just dusty old bottles, but also uh, a lot of just homemade stuff for his tasting program. But this is really cool. Um, it's quite tasty too. I'm curious to know why it yeah. didn't uh, stand the test of time. Nobody <laughs> wants to drink uh, algae tomorrow. This is a is perfect there... example of, of of why you know. <laughs> There are these spirits that, um, you know, because they were so ubiquitous, no one wrote anything down. And now you go and Google, you, you can, you know, type this into Google and you don't find any information. Right. It's, you know, there, there's no history, there's no story, uh, because only now people are starting to take these things seriously or want to learn about them. Yeah. Right, so how much have we lost? You know, how much just disappeared? You know how much how much didn't get just written got, down, didn't like get lost to time. Didn't yeah, didn't get written down. Oral history gone. The people who are making it or doing it are gone. It's just gone. Yeah, yeah. And by bringing the Amaro back to our class, you know, one of the things that we always come back to is um, alcohol is this healthful thing that it was um, medicine in many ways, both in, way, in consuming it, using it topically, um, and so of course Amaro comes from that t- tradition of lots of different herbs. And bitters you put into a bottle, put some sugar in there to make the bitters go, make the medicine go down. Um, and, you know, we don't really need 
Amari anymore in terms of medicine or curing stomach ailments, but they're still there. They're still part of the culture. Mm, we, um, we still need it. Yeah. Okay, we take it back. We still need it. <laughs> There's uh, there, there have been some really rough days that I've had where the only thing that that fixed what what ailed me was uh, a yeah. shot of Campari or a little something. Underberg. Yeah, <laughs> Underberg. Yeah, yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit more about your class. Uh, it, it's it says it's a multi session. So how many sessions are involved? It's a it's a, a semester long class. Oh wow! Yeah, oh wow! It's like full on. Yeah, it's a graduate seminar, a full credit, uh, September to December. Fifteen, yeah, fifteen full weeks of of alcohol um, fueled studying. But no alcohol. Nerdery. Alcohol fueled. <laughs> all by all by a by a books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's theoretical drinking. So I mean, I guess obviously you like touch on a lot of the you like you were saying before, like the social uh, aspects of it. The we've talked about historical and political. Um, do you also touch on like the religious aspects of it? I mean, like because there's like there's a lot of right. It's funny cultural as you religion. as you said earlier, like like the government has an on off relationship. We have an on off relationship. So, so does religion. So yeah. does religion. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned before, the the forces that are trying to sort of balance out. Um, moderation versus overconsumption, you know, there's often religion comes in to play that role. And, you know, alcohol and religion have been there from the get-go, that a lot of the earliest evidence of alcohol in the human record is probably connected to religious rites. Um, and, you know, it's always been there part of celebration as well. And, yeah. and as you said before, too, medicine, you know, like the monks were definitely known for making medicinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being, you know, hospitable, Beer, wine, hospitable to their guests when they came by. Yeah, you know? exactly. But then also, I mean, like, I grew up Lutheran, which is like chill Catholicism, or <laughs> a little, a less, a little less intense Catholicism. But like, I mean, I was drinking underage communion at communion church. Communion wine, sure. Know? That was like a thing, you know. <laughs> I, I, the, I, I went through confirmation just so I could drink wine underage. Uh, <laughs> so you're like, no, okay. like, so yeah, the, the Lutherans <laughs> and the Catholics, they're like excited to go to church every week. Yeah, like we get to drink wine a before nip, noon. Get a little nip. <laughs> um, Scott shows a great video in the class to get folks talking about what is sort of natural, and he shows a video about Welches. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, that? Oh, yeah, because um, as we know that in some uh, communion, folks drink grape juice instead of wine and then there's sort of this argument that no jesus would have been drinking grape juice not wine there's a there's a wonderful horrible um advertisement with alton brown you know kind of pseudo-scientific and he's going on about how welch's is natural but you know pasteurization that that made for stable fruit juice to exist you know didn't didn't exist until the 1800s the i i like to say the steam engine is older than grape juice um, because because it is because the natural state of any type of uh, fruit juice prior to that time would have been eventual fermentation and mm-hmm. preservation and, and enjoyment and in, al- in the form of alcohol. Yeah, right. So that's the other thing about alcohol. Like like I threw out there that maybe if we only discovered it today, it would probably be illegal. But that's the thing. It's not. It, it is a discovery. We didn't have to go make it. It makes no, itself. That's the thing. That's it. That's why we started. <laughs> point out, you know, first of all, we all know that anything we drink is an agricultural product. We sometimes forget it. You know, if you're drinking Fireball, you might forget it's an agricultural product. But, like, anything you drink is, you know, it's fruits, it's grains, it's... You're drinking a Fireball, you're going to forget a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. true. Um, but, you know, alcohol is the natural state of 
fruit. I mean, eventually it's going to ferment into alcohol. Um, and that's sort of more natural than just grape juice. And the more stable form of grain in the long term, too, you know, if yeah. you're going to make, you know, eventually beer and then, and then whiskey of some sort. Yeah, I mean, all alcohol is, it's kind of like the same, same thought process as like cheese and charcuterie. It's like it's preserving the grain. Yeah, yeah. Turning it into something that's stable. A commodity that you can swap and carry and, yeah. yeah. Or just, you know, have throughout the long winters as well. Um, yes. Yeah. Those winter nips. Speaking of long winters, yeah, you have a bottle of whiskey here that was, was hanging around for about. Speaking of long 15, winters, on the uh, hottest day of, of the summer in New York City, it's oppressive out there. Oh. I like it. I love it. Actually. I've seen this whiskey before, and I think I've had it before, but this is a pretty cool one. You want to explain what we're? Yeah, we are this, we trying this or? Yeah, please, please, please cool. crack it open. Um, this is um, a, a whiskey that um, was was distilled. It's very cloudy. Um, who, who knows why? You know, it this looks is like the, an Amaro right now. Yeah, it looks like milky. This is essentially the equivalent of, you know, if you were to buy Robitussin oh. today and um, hold on to it for, you know, 80 years, um, oh, this, this was never insane. meant for long-term, you know, holding an enjoyment. So vintage roboing, is that what you're saying? Yeah, so this was, this was a, a bourbon that was distilled prior to Prohibition, and then Prohibition happened, so they couldn't sell it, and, um, and they held on to it, and then it was bottled after Prohibition. So it was probably aged too long. To begin with, um, you don't see a lot of 17-year-old bourbons, and you certainly didn't see them, uh, this caliber of, of quality, um, being probably not all that fancy at the time. Um, and, uh, Damon, you've got the bottle. Can you just read re- actually yeah, who, who sure. produces this? It's the, I think, American uh, see, Medical. American, uh, American Medicinal Spirits Company, Incorporated. So it's a special old reserve. Fine old bourbon whiskey made in Kentucky before Prohibition. Stored in the finest oak barrels for over 15 years and bottled in bond under government supervision, especially for the stockholders of the National Distillers Products Corporation. Um, so, yeah, it says... Uh, well, on the back it also says about uh, it's for medicinal use only. This is, yeah. is pre-pro juice. Made but fall of 1917 and bottled in fall of 1932. So right. this is something that you would actually, you know, um, a few distilleries were given special governmental uh, dispensation to still produce or store or sometimes sell, but basically this is something your doctor would give you a prescription for. You could get, you know, a quart um, or a pint of whiskey, but only with, you know, a pharmacist uh, script. It smells insane. Yeah, it smells like... Uh, it smells very medicinal. <laughs> It's like wow. It passed the first test. I didn't go blind. It is palateless and <laughs> I'm just gonna you know, go out there and say it. This is Ooh. disgusting. Yeah, no, um, pencil. <laughs> people sometimes ask me why I have the bottle left over, why I didn't consume all of it, and it's because it's you know take this a while. Is, <laughs> it's gonna take a while. A few more a few more radio shows. Um, and we'll wow, get through the final three ounces. Oh, it's a dusty bottle, and it tastes like dusty. Dust. It tastes like, <laughs> That's a little tastes, painful. It tastes, um, yeah, musty. Let's taste something else. Musty. <laughs> <laughs> it tastes musty and dusty and old, and it's really cloudy. Well, we'll taste something new. How about people view yeah. the the pass through kind of rose colored lenses, and this is a perfect example when you you hit up against that reality that not everything that was old or produced from another era was more natural or better or right. more wonderful tasting. <laughs> so I brought in something from Asbury Park, New Jersey, where I live, and there is a distillery in a proud town. Proud New Jersey resident, Woo! and uh, Jersey Shore, wow. and. Uh, <laughs> 
there's a great distillery in town, um, makes gin and vodka, and then also uh, a double-barreled bourbon. And one of their distinctive products is a barrel-finished gin, which they put into, they aged their gin, made with New Jersey grains, um, into a, a, an unused barrel, um, age it for a bit, I don't know how long. And then actually then they aged their bourbon in the barrels in which the gin was. And so the bourbon comes out with like all these wacky botanical, interesting oh, botanical kind of flavors. Backwards. Yes, I know. I don't think anybody's sort of doing that. Um, can, but anyway, can let's... Can they uh, label it bourbon? Yeah, because they started it, it's double barreled, so they've started it off in a regular a charred, unused Correct. barrel, and then they'd finish it off in a gin barrel. Mm. So Neat. we'll try this. We'll try this out. I don't know where to get rid of this, uh, this, whiskey, <laughs> this whiskey I was drinking. Let's see. <laughs> Down your mouth isn't the good answer. Uh, uh, we don't have a lot of water. I, I have some. Dave, yeah. you're lucky you didn't get to try the whiskey. That's all I'm saying. Dave in the booth. We saved some for you. Yeah, do you want to pass, oh. <laughs> pass And uh, it makes a really good old-fashioned. Little gin old fashioned. Uh, I love a Hollands or gin old fashioned. I read about that in your book too. Oh man, you're like studied up. Here's the <laughs> weird thing. I, 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 it's my first book, of course. Uh, I'm just here for the drinks. Available now on Amazon.com or at fine booksellers everywhere. <laughs> um, I, uh, I I finished the book back in like April. And now suddenly people are asking me, telling me things about the book, and I'm kind of like, yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I got it done, Wait, and really? I... I said that? I got it done, and I sort of, like, put it out of my mind. Like, okay, done. Moving on. Thank you. Yeah, this is cool. Um, uh, I've, this I've smells of... outrageously delicious. Asbury Park Distilling Company. Oh. Never even yeah. heard of these guys. Are they here in New York? I don't... Have you I seen haven't them? seen it. Uh, no, I don't think they're distributed in New York yet. Yeah. Jersey Proud. Jersey, Jersey Distributed. Proud. Yeah, I've had a lot of experience with uh, barrel-aged gins. I like them a lot. And I like that you said that it makes a great old-fashioned, because I do like a gin old-fashioned. I do, too. Like, I like a general old-fashioned. I like a gin old-fashioned. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, Southern, you'd be intrigued about their distillery, because, you know, where you at Amaro Margo have a very sort of limited... You're limited what you can do, meaning that you have no citrus or anything, but mm-hmm. that forces you to be creative. The bar at Asbury Park Distilling can only use booze that they've made. Yep. And uh, so they do have a restricted palette, so to speak, yeah. of paint colors, metaphorical paint colors, and they just come up with great, yeah, great drinks there. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, boundaries create, well, boundaries uh, impose creativity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a, it's, it's one of the licenses that they have that says that they can be a distillery mm-hmm. and have a bar, yeah. but they can only have stuff on their bar that they make. Right, and again, we could probably have to go back to the 21st Amendment for all that wacky stuff. Thank you, 21st Amendment. Yeah, thank you, 21st Amendment. Sponsored yeah. by? Just for, yeah, just for letting every single state and even county have their own rules. That's just one of the dumbest things ever. <laughs> I always remember that Nicole Austin would say when she was at Kings County Distillery that we don't live the legacy of prohibition, we live the legacy of the end of prohibition. That's really sort of oh, when... Great. Uh, wow, uh, what a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's when we're, all still, the... we're still carrying the burden of it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, besides, besides firearms and the Second Amendment, alcohol is the only commercial good that you can buy or sell that's mentioned in the Constitution, which makes for pretty strange complications. Wow. That's interesting. I never really thought of that. Man, it's great hanging out with nerds. <laughs> <laughs> the feeling is mutual? No. Yeah. <laughs> we're nerds. We're like, you're like super nerds. Uh, nerds! <laughs> you're like academic nerds. You're like real deep. Uh, we're, we're just, you're professional nerds. We're just, we're. Yeah, we're aspiring. We're but we're all professional <laughs> drinkers, though. Well, That's true. 
We have our degree, but you have your PhD. Mm. Um, so yeah, this is great. Um, oh, wow, cool. We need this to we really need to do great. a Jersey Shore show. It's very um, right. <laughs> Let's go to Jersey Shore and do it. Uh, oh yeah, man. An episode. Well, before the summer runs out, mm-hmm. let's get down to the beach. Dude, got you. I haven't been to the beach one time this year. I've been kind of busy. It all looks like we could use some vitamin. We all looks like we could use some vitamin D. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> we sit in the studio. All we right. live the life of vampires. We're right in a bar at night, or in I the see studio. the most daylight I see at any given time. Actually, is the 45 minutes to an hour that we're in here because of this window. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm in a dark bar or I'm asleep. I don't was that? have a clue what that was. Was is there a snake in here? What was that? Dave has no microphone, so he, he can't talk back today. That's, thank God. <laughs> so he can't explain himself. He can't explain himself. Uh, so talk to, uh, briefly a little uh, more about this, this gin. It tastes very fruity to me. Mm-hmm. What's the base of this gin? Uh, I think know? yeah, I think it's just I think it's just grains. I think it's in New Jersey grains. I don't know what it is. I'll have to get back to you on that, Souther. Is it algae from the? We can look it up. It's not shore. algae, and it's not ridiculously old medicinal whiskey. <laughs> Maybe that's why it tastes so fruity. After that whiskey, yes. everything yeah. would. Our palate Every, just wrecked now. I know yeah. it was so weird about that whiskey. It was so well, many things were. Wrong. It was so single dimensional. You know, so when you have this, it's like the Wizard of Oz going from black and white to Technicolor. It's like yeah, absolutely, like yeah. a real palate changer um so how many i'm curious to know this how many people from the food studies course are signing up for your class is it booked out uh it's it's a seminar so it's small it's designed to be a conversational class so sure. it's you know 20 it's like 15 to 20 15 to 25 folks yeah, usually yeah and, and graduate students pri- primarily and so you think it's going to be booked out you don't know we don't know yet. We've got a few more weeks. Yeah. If you're if you're a, an NYU student that wants to sign up, now now's the time. Do we get to come sit in on? Uh, can we yeah, Can we audit a class? Yeah, or two? I sent Souther the, the the syllabus, syllabus yeah. so you can pick whatever one appeals to you. Nice. So yeah, we should. I mean, you know, the syllabus is designed thematically, sort of historically and thematically. So we start at the beginning with alcohol and religion and the. Um, first evidence of humans intentionally making alcohol and then we what do we do then we move through to rebellion and alcohol rebellion we're, we're going to do a walking tour of lower manhattan and look at the customs house and visit alexander hamilton and uh, albert gallatin's graves and talk about the whiskey rebellion mm-hmm. cool um, and a lot of prohibition yeah we, this is the second time we're teaching this class second semester and we got we got feedback that people love Prohibition and wanted more, so there's three sessions basically. No, 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 no. nobody loves Prohibition. No, loves like learn, love learning yeah. <laughs> about uh, how difficult and hard but life it, was. And it's not just a U.S.-based class. It definitely has a European, North American focus. The course, um, but as we mentioned, we look at um, revolution and prohibition in Russia. Rum and slavery is a topic. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, absolutely huge. The rum triangle. And then what else we do? Co- um, coffee and tea and look at colonialism as well and how that sort of changed the face of things as well. And and lastly, uh, one of my favorite topics is uh, the, the 19th century. Fireball? <laughs> <laughs> we, we cover um, the 19th century, so the 1800s, technology and, and drinking. So, you know, we look at what a cocktail is, you know, which to my mind is, if we go to the original definition, right, sugar, water, uh, bitters, alcohol, all of those things kind of existed in some form prior to, you know, the golden, you know, age in the 1850s, 1870s, 1890s. So why did it take thousands of years for people to invent cocktails? You know, it's, it's this question. 
And it's because it's not until the technology develops that allows these things to become accessible. Um, ice in the 1820s via the ice trade. Um, column distillation in the 1820s and 1830s allows for the production of London dry gin, of grain whiskey, of vodka. Um, the uh, commercialization of trade routes and steamships allow for fruit to, you know, travel to places where you wouldn't normally have it. So, you know, as you can see, I get excited about it. And then, I mean, <laughs> so on the, and, the, and the flip side of that is actually industrialization leads to prohibition, too, because as we mentioned, alcohol served as a source of hydration. And you can't prohibit alcohol unless you have a potable water supply. And so it took, you know, until the 1850s and onward for there to be a reliably clean um, water supply, then you can restrict alcohol consumption at that point. Crazy. Makes a lot of sense. Like yeah. it's, it's like a continuous cycle of chicken and egg, chicken and egg, chicken and egg. Which came first? Which came first? Which came first? I'd like to talk about this real quick. I mean, oh. we're getting... Chickens and eggs? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, basically, like, the the origin of alcohol, like, fermented alcohol, you know, like, I've heard the story about, like, someone noticed uh, some birds who were eating some grapes that were infiltrated with uh, yeast, and so the grapes had converted uh, some of the juice in the actual grapes to alcohol and the birds look like they're having a really good time flapping around doing their thing and then then the humans were like I gotta get me some of them grapes you know like, but, but actually they would I mean humans or our ancestors been able to process alcohol for 10 million years so right and uh, then they- well, well uh, about about basically since humans became humans homo sapiens about 200,000 years ago we've had the necessary enzymes to, to break down um, alcohol, to some extent, they existed, but they didn't become prominent until um, the rise of agriculture, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it is until we're steadily growing grain, have access to fruit and sweet things that we can ferment. Um, but, you know, really important, and you see this in the mythology and religions and, and legends of all cultures. You know, you look at the first, who was the first vintner according to Christianity? It was it was Noah. Um what, what you really need is civilization to some extent. You need, you need pottery. You need containers. We yeah. often forget that you need right. containers. Um, well, that's also why we say there's been 9,000 years of intentional alcohol consumption. It probably was earlier, but we have no physical evidence of it because pottery wasn't really invented till then. So any ways that humans were making alcohol be- before then, say in leather or baskets or something, they would have all disintegrated. So there's no yeah. record of it anymore. Um, but I would say that the first beverage... The fermented beverage that humans probably had was mead because that can sort of almost happen by itself that you get a certain percentage of water and honey together in some sort of closed space say like a hollow of a tree and then there you've got mead so that's probably the first and then probably wine every, and then every few few years there's a new academic study or archaeology uh, dig that discovers some new vessel and it's kind of a race between beer wine and mead for which came first by you know a few hundred or thousand years Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I think the evi- earliest evidence is China, which was a hawthorn wine. Right now, is yeah. that still holding steady? I, be- I believe so. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll wait another month or two until yeah. it doesn't. <laughs> wow, very cool. History does change. It do. Well, guys, it's been great having you you on. And the, uh, hey, we got uh, one more uh, bottle to try, uh, right? Oh, oh, we have, yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. What do we got? Makes <laughs> running easier. Man, well, oh, man. So this is this is. Um, well, let me let me finish this gin. Mm. What is that? A spritz? A bottle of spritz? This is this is uh, it's called spritz because that's what it says on the European label. But this is just an aperitivo, so this would okay. be used in a spritz. So this is um, a, a lighter style. Walter aperitivo. aperitivo. Hey, I wonder if Michael Walter knows about this. This is from uh, Alto Aldice, a distillery that dates back to the '60s. 
um, made with organic ingredients. Um, elderberry, elderberry extract is what colors it, so naturally colored. Mm. And um, yeah, something something been been around in Europe for a while, but um, uh, the company I work with and my, my day job just started importing this um, in May. Cool. Wait, what's your day job? Uh, importer and distributor. I'm like a, an anti-brand ambassador. I hide behind a desk and find <laughs> things to import and come up with pricing and play in Excel. But your grandma thinks you're an alcoholic. True. true. By trade. That is true. <laughs> by trade. An alcoholic by trade. Uh, this is delightful. Got a little lightly peppery nose. A little red bitter action going on. Gentian. Flower, floral. Nasturtium? Is that weird? That's where mm. that peppery thing is coming from. Ooh. I see what you're saying. Nasturtium yeah. flower. Yeah. And to balance out the sweetness, they actually use a little bit of um, organic lemon juice, interestingly. Mm. Neat. Mm. That's quaffable. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. And I love how Damon wouldn't let us go until we finished the... We st- got it to the fourth bottle. He's, 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 yeah. he's a member of the Clean Plate Club. <laughs> yeah. Uh, always has been. Look at him. Wow. That's 15, 15% alcohol. 15%. 30 proof. We could drink that one all day long. That's some session mm-hmm. drinking. I got. It. I brought a beer koozie. I could just put it over the bottle and just... Well, if it didn't it have that bottle. governor on there. Uh, <laughs> you know, the governor on the uh, is a common thing on mostly bottles from Italy. And uh, it took me a long time to understand why that was, but I, I did some work with Amaro Montenegro to finally get theirs removed in every country except Italy. Because in Italy, the governor, the thing that makes your bottle pour slowly... Uh, the governor in, in Italy is considered to be a mark of excellence. Hmm. People regard people regard because it's it's obviously not been tampered with. It's obvious that the I get that. It's you obvious that the, the it's obvious that the maker cares about their product. It's obvious that can't chug there's it. all these like pieces to the puzzle that make it a, 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 an esteemable thing in Italy, which huh. is so uh, backwards thinking to me. Like I want to be able to get the stuff out of the bottle as fast as I can <laughs> uh, and into my hand or into the hands of other people. Um, guys, really fascinating stuff. Uh, I, we'll have to have you back on and talk Absolutely. more about this maybe as the show, uh, as the show, <laughs> as your class go, goes on. I think it would be really fun, actually, Damon, if you and I could maybe go audit one of the sessions and yeah. yes, uh, maybe please. bring a Zoom recorder and record uh, some of it, some of you, and maybe interview even some of your students to see what they're thinking about the whole process. Without giving away. Yeah, the we don't whole give class, a, we know. don't give away the show. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, so thanks, Diana and Scott, for being on the show with us yeah, today. Thanks for bringing this disgusting and whiskey. Bringing this anytime, anytime. Any time. Any his time pleasure. You want his pleasure. Whiskey. Really None old, of ours. rotten whiskey. When was the last time you had a really disgusting thing on the show? Uh, yeah, that's true. It's been. Oh, it's you're, a rarity. You're welcome. You're well, welcome. I thought that like someone brought us some Malort. I love Malort though. That's not but, disgusting. But you know the thing is, it, it was uh, <laughs> it was actually delicious. It was a fresh bottle. Yeah. A lot of people like. Malort has a shelf life. It does. Crack. I agree. So, like, when you get it fresh, it's like it's it's like floral and beautiful, grapefruity and zesty. Yeah. But if you let it sit around, which most people do, yep, then it becomes kind of a rancid product. But I'm still drinking it anyway. All right, I'm gonna go over some show upcoming stuff. Check it out, man. Next week is our 300th episode. Scott, well, we missed it by one. More, more specifically, next week is your 300th episode. Amazing. That's incredible. It's incredible, Damon. It's your it's your 100th episode. Something like that, yeah. We can go, I, we'll figure out the match. We did 200. That's when I announced you as my co-host. Yeah, so that's right. You're right. My 300. So officially my 100. Hey. I got more in the bag, but yeah, that's amazing. Uh, so 300th episode next week is going to be Kara Newman. Uh, she's been on the show a few Aww. times before. Yeah. Uh, she's got a brand new book coming out called Nightcap. It's all about drinks you drink right before you go to bed. Um, and I'm pretty sure, Damon, 
that you're featured in that book. I think I think I am. No, you are. I know you it's, are. You know, yours is the only book that I'm not featured. I've, I've actually seen. <laughs> yeah. We all love Karen Newman. She's Why the don't you look like nepotism or favoritism? <laughs> Um, we upcoming in, uh, in no particular order, uh, Chris Hanna and Nick Dietrich are coming up from New Orleans. They're going to actually do a pop-up at my bar blue quarter next Wednesday. Uh, we're going to, uh, uh, get them on the show as well, um, to talk about their new bar jewel, which is their opening up down. Maybe in- that's where we do our 300th episode party. Man. Oh man. Damon with, the, Damon with the quick thinking. Um, then we've got, uh, Jeremy Allen from mini bar out in LA going to be coming up following that. Um. Uh, so we've got Kara Newman next week And in a couple of weeks we've got Laura Newman Who uh, used mm-hmm. to live here yeah. in New York City Now she lives down in Birmingham, Alabama She's opening a brand new bar called Queens Park um, Really booming and burgeoning scene down there uh, And then uh, I don't know Other junk is coming up as well Got a lot of stuff coming up We'll have that uh, that interview with, with Bruce Russell And Benny Hurwitz and Joanne Street They'll uh, be on They'll have that going. We've got a lot of got a lot of uh, travel going on right now, and we've got so, some interesting things that are posted not under the show page on Heritage Radio Network. We've got a couple of uh, things that that are posted under I think what's called the blog page. Uh, 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 go to go to I'll I'll post some more information about this on um, Speakeasy Podcast Instagram and uh, Speakeasy Radio uh, Twitter. But we did a remember when we went to Cleveland, we recorded yeah. so very many interviews while we were there. It's about a two hour long episode that's posted on as a blog post. Uh, plus, I recorded uh, Let's Get Lit, a literary um, session out in LA where uh, authors, including me now, uh, read from upcoming works. So I read a, a, an excerpt from my, my book. Uh, lots of great people were on that panel um, reading from, from works they hadn't published yet. So it's just a cool thing to listen to. Uh, so we got lots of extra cool content uh, in in addition to just the regular show because you know we're 300 episodes in, man. We got a yeah, lot. Of, we got a lot to share. We're big bosses. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> Rolling deep. Rolling deep. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on the Thank show you. today. Um, Thank you for having us. Can't yeah. wait to have you on again. Can't wait to go and check out your class. Sounds amazing. And yeah, we're pretty happy. I, about I it. hope that uh, I hope that we didn't give too much away no. for your your students. You know? No, they see the syllabus. <laughs> they know. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, definitely want to come check it out. Right, Souther? Yeah, absolutely. That. Seriously, let's do it. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Uh, check out heritageradionetwork.org for many more programs like this one. And click on the beating heart if you feel so kind to donate to the station so we can continue bringing you all this great information and these great guests. Until next week, cheers, y'all. Cheers, cheers. guys. Ciao. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that's him. It's gonna get you some in the end. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.